0: Welcome to the genesischurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today is a rebroadcast of week one of our Welcome Back series, I Love My Church and My Church Loves Me, where we talk about the foundation and purpose of the church. The church is not a building, it's the movement of God's people. Get ready to learn and grow. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, everybody. How are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. All my students ready to go back to school. Awesome. Good job. Yeah. All right, so if you haven't figured it out, we're in a new series called "I Love My Church." If you haven't figured it out, I don't know how. All right, so it is I love Church loves me." and today I'm going to introduce a concept to some of you that, that might be a little bit different, um, And it's wrapped around one centralized idea, and that it is this: The church was born as a movement. And that movement is still moving. The church was born as a movement, and that movement is still moving. I love the church. I love our church. But, you know, I I don't really know what comes to your mind when you you hear that word, or when you feel someone speaks the word church, like what, what kind of feelings come up, or chances are, though, whatever it is, it's a far cry from what the first church people thought and experienced, because nobody... Was bored in the first century, right? There were no boring churches because guess what? There were no actual church buildings. There were no Bibles. There were no bands. There were no big screens. They didn't think building. They didn't think rows of comfy seats. They didn't think of a cafe or a cool kids' church or sleek graphics or Maverick City worship. Like they just gathered. The church was simply a gathering of people who were centralized this, around this one belief system. And it's simply this that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen, and he is the son of the living God. That's all they had, and that was enough. The church was a movement, and it got big, really big in one day. So let's talk about that word church. Everybody say church. All right, so the church comes from a a Greek word, and it means this. Everybody say ekklesia. It means a gathering. It means an assembly. But the English term Church also comes from a a Greek word, but it's a totally different Greek word, and it means of the Lord. It's picked up, and it was adapted by the Goths. So the Goths, we can worry about that later, baby girl. It's picked up by the German group in around, I think it was like 50 or or 300 AD. And so they took the word church, and it had a different sound, different meaning, and it was kirk, right? So it sounds like it but it means something totally different. It went from God's people, meaning ecclesia, to now kirk or kirch, meaning the Lord's house. Phonetically, in English, it sounds the same, but the Germans had it all wrong. A good word, but a bad translation. And bad translation means bad theology. A bad translation created this theology that the church became a place rather than a movement or a gathering. So it was tamed. It was localized. And it was controlled by the people who controlled the overall building until this guy came along. William Tyndale. In the 16th century, he was really cold all the time. Every picture has him in some kind of weird fur. He was a scholar. And, And he did something bold that was, like, super unusual. They call him the father of the English Bible. So he took the original Hebrew, and the original Greek, and translated those things into English, and which is why you have your Bible today. And it was scandalous at the time. Yes, it was scandalous, I tell you. Why? Because it gave away the power of the church. It said to the bishops of the Church of England, listen, I'm going to put Scripture into the commoner's hand. Anyone and everyone should have access to the Word of God. He said this, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth a plow to know more of the scripture than thou dost. Meaning, this guy is going to know just as much of the Bible as you guys do, that you who are in power, I'm going to know the word of God just as much as you do. And in 1524, he fled from England to Germany, and there was printed the very first testament, the New Testament, was published in English. And Tyndale took this translation of the Bible and he began to continue to build on it in the Old Testament and while all that was happening, he got betrayed by his best friend and they hung him and burned him at the stake in 1536. Yeah, you're like, church people do that kind of stuff? Well, the first church people nailed Jesus Christ to a cross. So, anybody that has an evil were lurking on the inside of them sometimes it just comes out and shows off in a way that we wouldn't want it to be done. But Christ's word still prevailed. And one of the things that drove leaders crazy in the day was that ecclesia was the translation that Tyndale gave. <laughs> Rather than the church building. See, he said it is a movement. It is a force and it focused on people not a place now why did i tell you all that because william tyndale was 100 percent right in matthew 16 we see the first reference to the church to god's people in the new testament jesus begins to ask his disciples and the people were saying this and that about jesus and he says okay but who do you say that i am right what is the word on the street, and do you believe the same thing? Matthew sixteen thirteen through 18 says this. Jesus came to the country of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his followers, who do people say that I am? Who do they say that the Son of Man actually is? And they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, reincarnated. Some believe that you are Elijah or Jeremiah, raised from the dead, and you're back to hang out with us, or one of the early preachers, one of the early teachers, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And then loud mouth Peter, shoot from the hip kind of guy who blurts out before his brain fully processes everything that he says. Says something that is so unbelievably profound that it probably shocked everybody in the room. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, you were happy because you did not learn this from a man. My father in heaven has shown you this. He says, God himself has revealed something to you, Peter. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, which means in this moment, he calls him the rock. And he says, on this rock, on these principles, on this belief, I will build my church. My people will believe that I am the Christ the son of the living God, and there's nothing in all of hell that will stop this movement from going forward. Two months later, after that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. 57 days after that, the gathering of his people launched the church. Luke in Acts, the same guy that wrote, Luke, it's a continuation. Luke, Acts, that's how you should read it. He tells us that after the resurrection Jesus spent 40 days walking around, hanging out, teaching his disciples. And he said, don't go into public until the Holy Spirit shows up and baptizes you, dunks you in this power that he has waiting for you to set you on fire so that you can be sent out and to go change the world. Look at Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are are you at this time going to restore all the kingdom of Israel? So when the Holy Spirit shows up, Is that what's going to happen, God? See, they didn't understand much about the church. They didn't understand what God's vision looked like. They were waiting for the the new Jewish kingdom to to be announced that Jesus would be king. They're like, well, it's all about us. It's all about the Jews. And Jesus was like, no, it's all about the world. Look at verse 7. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. Verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. Everywhere Everywhere. and anyone that will listen. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He says, Samaria, the people that the Jews hate. Why? Because they were a mixed breed of holy people and people who did not love God, hate God, everything about him they did not want. And they bred together and they made this race of Samaritans. God says, go even tell them. Go tell everyone. He says, in case I'm not making myself clear to the very ends of the earth, to anyone and everyone who will listen and believe in me that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and I came to rescue all. Witness in the Greek here means one who testifies or one who affirms something as truth. He says, You are going to go testify. You're going to go to proclaim me. Proclaim that I am alive. You saw it firsthand. You witnessed it. Now go. Go and tell. And make everybody that you come in contact with a disciple, a follower of me. Teach what I've taught you. Live out what I have taught you to do. And baptize people in my name. And then they all must have thought, us? (laughs) nah, right? My brain would have been reeling, go to the ends of the earth. I don't got an Uber that can take me there, right? Who's going to listen? How am I going to tell them? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to stay? You picked a handful of sweaty old, half of us are fishermen, plus Mary, and we got to go change the world. They went back to Jerusalem, waited two weeks. Luke, who researched all of this, says, They were all gathered in this room, and it was the apostles and some women who were the ones that traveled with Jesus, including Mary, and get this, all the brothers of Jesus, they believed. The one who grew up in their household that they all scoffed at believed. And then on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast where everybody showed up into the center of Of Jerusalem. They would have come from all over the world. They were Jews, they were converts from from everywhere gathered into this place to celebrate this feast day and then the Holy Spirit shows up and falls on men and women in the room and they have this weird evidence. They spoke in tongues that they didn't even understand, meaning that they were speaking languages that they didn't get and they began to emerge from this place and they were speaking the dialect and the languages of everybody around town yet they did not know how to speak a Spanish, right? They came out into the streets, and people were all like, how are these Galileans speaking my dialect? How are they telling me that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God in my language when they don't speak the language? They're just plain fishermen. The whole world, <laughs> their head... Luke lists 14 different groups that heard their own language on that day and it was not a Jewish thing any longer it was not a Jewish movement it was not a Jewish message Jesus was right this was a message for the entire world for God so loved the world that anyone who would just simply believe in him would not perish but would inherit eternal life and they stopped and asked what in the world does this mean? I'm challenging you today as you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to pause yourself and and think, what in the world is he saying? What does this mean for my life? Then Peter, the loud mouth of the group, the brash one, the somewhat putting the foot in the mouth kind of person walking around dude, got up and preached the very first message as the church. And he says this, Acts 2, follow me for a little bit. We're going to read it. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well known. Everybody, even if they did not believe in Jesus, they knew when he touched somebody that was sick, all the white spots from the lepers went away. They watched him raise people from the dead. Lazarus got out four days later. He was like, what up, homie, untie me. Right? They knew it. You can't deny seeing those things. But verse 23 says, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross. You killed him. Here's what happened. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep its grip. Oh my Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. You've seen him walking around town, right? And now he's exalted. He went back and he's sitting at the highest place of honor, at the right hand of God the Father. And he has promised, and he has given his Holy Spirit in this moment to pour himself out upon you, and you, and you. And he's telling us in this moment, listen, I see where you're at today, and I have a message to declare why? Verse 36, so that everyone in Israel for certain will know that God has made this Jesus who you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, our master and our rescuer. And then Peter's words just pierce the hearts, it says. And they begin to ask him and the other apostles, will. What do we do with this? What, what am I supposed to do with this? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, then you're going to receive this gift. How we're speaking to you today, and I'm speaking in one language, you're hearing it in 14? He says, then and then you're going to receive that same gift of the power of the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, change your life and to go and to change the world i love the result three thousand people that were speaking at least 14 different languages all believed all in one moment and i hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to a big church, I hope we don't get too big, and I say to you, well, you would not have enjoyed opening day, and you might not enjoy heaven. Yeah, the church should remain small, that's why we have small groups called G groups, because they meet all over the city and they multiply. But Sunday services, they should be packed. There should not be an empty seat in this place. There should be someone sitting next to you that needs to hear the gospel so bad that you literally want to like shake them and say, would you take Jesus home with you today, please? Like that's how big it should be. You see, it was just like Jesus predicted. The church was a gathering of people that rallied around the one idea that Jesus Christ is the resurrected king of kings and he is the son of the living God. You couldn't go to church because you were the church. And the church wasn't for church people. Why? Because there weren't any. It wasn't about a location, which one you're going to go to, which one you're going to... There wasn't any. The church wasn't about a style or a feel or any kind of ritual. Guess what? Because there wasn't any. The mission of the church was doing one thing, create followers of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And from that day forward, there's always been a group of people. Who refuse to let go of that idea, who refuse to make it about a building, and a place you show up and check off the box that you attended on a Sunday morning, you feel good about yourself. No, 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 no. There are people out there that are believers, that are just walking around on every facet of life. There are missionaries, there are church planters, there are evangelists, there are Bible translators, there's pastors, student pastors, Bible smugglers, whatever. It's you. It's people like William Tyndale who... <laughs> who defied the entire leadership of the church when they tried so hard to make it about something else other than it was. It's you, my Genesis. You are the William Tyndales of this world. It's people like you who show up and give and serve, and who spend all day on a Saturday at a quarter till six in the morning and leave when it's dark to build a handicap accessible ramp so that people who cannot climb up on the stage, can get up here. It's people who, who believe that you are to be an inviter. It's people like you who cheer when somebody's baptized and shows up without a shirt on and flex for the whole church. Like two weeks ago, best memory ever as a pastor. When you, re- the shirtless person was a boy. All right, just throwing that out there. It's when you realize that no matter if you're in your home, in a store, in your workplace, you're the church. You are the walking, living, breathing translation of the Bible. By what you say, by what you do, by how you live your life, by how you speak the truth, by how you share your story, by how you have a testimony that changes lives, you're the church. And when you pray for the sick and you lay hands on them, you're the church. And when you give and you love on the homeless and you help the needy or the poor or you become a foster parent, you're loving on people, you are the church. When you live out the values of Jesus Christ and you feel like an outcast in your fraternity or your sorority or your workplace or even sometimes your home, you are being the church. See, it's why we continue to create more gathering places and small groups all over the city. We call them G groups because it is a continuation. It's an extension of the local congregation. That's why I love G groups that meet in restaurants because they get to see that church people love church people and hang out and that are, they're fun. If you want to do this, come to a meeting at eleven a, Like 01 following this experience. You can be a leader. There's a meeting afterwards. Shameless plug. it's why we send you it's why i'm going to be sending some of you on short-term mission trips this year in our calendar year because we've got to open our eyes to see that the world is hurting and the world needs the church why it's because we agree with what peter said on that day that jesus christ is king and he is the son of the living god and every single person on this earth to the ends of the earth Need to hear about him on their own level so that they might understand, so that they might fall in love with him and choose him. They have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's on you, that's on me. So let me close up by telling you my personal story of this church plant kind of story. Years ago, before I even had kids, my wife and I came here to plant this church and to help plant it. And it wasn't because I loved the Knolls, although I did as a kid, because I grew up in the 90s when we were winners. And it's not because I wanted just to move to Florida because it was sunny, although that's nice. Or that we were a short drive from the beach. No. I had an urgency. We had an urgency. We had a calling. Our lives needed something different, and, and this city needed something different, something completely opposite of what it had at the time, something that would radically shift the paradigm of what church had become. When we planted Genesis, we said we wanted to be a church that was real. A real church for real people. I remember the first banner that I put up on the columns that I designed that said, a real church for real people. Big, bold, right before you walk in the front door. And again, if you listen to that, you can make it sound like we were talking about a building for people to walk into if you want to hear it that way. But the point of the message was this, that God's church is a group of people who just need to be real. That they're not going to have their life all put together when they show up before they come to Jesus. We're all going to have a messy life, but if we will come together, mess and all, God would redeem us, God would cleanse us, God would bind us all together, and God would give us a new start, a new genesis. And then somehow... God was going to take the mess of your life, my life, your life over there, put it all together, clean us up, make us holy, and then make something beautiful out of the disaster that we are and blow apart this perception that the church is perfect, full of perfect people that do perfect things on a perfect Sunday. No, 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 no. We're real. We all got baggage. We all come from some kind of brokenness, but a hole. When we wrap our lives around the message that Jesus is the resurrected Lord, that he wants my life, that he wants your life, and he wants to redeem us and make something amazing out of us and do something in us and through us that's you and you and you and you and me, that together we make something beautiful out of the mess that we are. <laughs> and that's the kind of church that I wanted to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I wanted to lead. That's the kind of church I still want to lead today. And I love our church for the fact that we're still the same that we were then as we are today. Nobody expects you to come in here and have your stuff together. That's a joke. We're all going to struggle. Even in your spiritual walk, if you're a believer, you're still going to struggle at some capacity with something. But the cool thing is, as your church, your life is only going to get better as we do life together. You're only going to grow stronger when Christ is at the center of who you are and what you believe and what you do and how you live out your life as a person and together together as a congregation, when we have that as a mission, to know Christ and to make him known, that's when we stop being a location and we start being a movement. And what we've done over the last 19 years, it's remarkable. But it's all because Christ was the center of everything that we do, everything that we say, everywhere that we go, how we love different segments of the population that no one is even willing to reach. what's remarkable about it is that it's not us. Everything that we've ever done, it's because he's remarkable. And I don't know what really comes to your mind or what you feel like when you hear the word church. But from now on, I, I, I just hope that maybe you will understand that it's about a multiplying, multicultural gathering of people who believe that Jesus is who he said that he was and is today and is alive. And I pray that our lives begin to reflect his teaching and his love. And if we can just get that, I promise you, you'll begin to fall in love with this church. You'll begin to fall in love with the people of God. God's local church group that we call Genesis, man, the more you hang out with one another, the more that you're going to love one another. And in turn, you're going to realize, my church loves me back. Why? Why? Because the church is supposed to love one another. Do you realize that's what Paul says? That's how the entire world is going to know whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not how you treat strangers, not how you treat unbelievers, but how you treat one another in the church. That turns the world on to what you've got. Because the church loves each other. The church is supposed to want to do life together, to laugh, to cry, to cheer each other on, to hang out, to celebrate those cool big moments with you, and then to mourn with you during some hard seasons of your life. The church becomes family. It's why we say welcome home, because we're a real group of people, authentic, genuine, no pretense, real. I'm not fake up here with you ever. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I were because I tend to overshare the mess of my life. But the church is where found people find each other and we build life together. We've got to stick to the credo of what we started. We have to be a real church for real people. The church began as a movement and it's still moving, and you need to be a part of it, and you need to get in on this stuff, and by God's grace, you can be a part of that movement. And we will be the ones to speak out as the voice for every generation sitting in this place. Next week, we're going to pick up where we left off in Acts. You need to be here. You need to pack this place. And lucky for you, if you would like to read ahead, you can, thanks to Wyndham you. Tyndall made it, where you have no excuse about finding out what the church means. But we need you to come here and be a part of it, so that we can be real. And we can offer the world something completely different than what they think about church when they hear it. Let's be a real church for real people. Let's know Christ and make him known. Let's pray. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.GenesisChurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.